This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Both Russian and Ukrainian forces claimed to be in control of Lizichansk, the last Ukrainian holdout in Luhansk, an area in the Donbass region in the east of the country. An advisor to Vladimir Zelensky, Ukraine's president, said there was a risk that the city may fall. Russia is trying to drive all Ukrainian troops out of the Donbass, where Russian-backed separatists have been fighting for control since 2014. Germany's economic minister warned that the country faces further gas shortages because of Vladimir Putin's strategy of economic warfare. Robert Habeck said that the Russian president is deliberately driving up gas prices to weaken European countries. Germany relies on Russia for much of its energy. Mr. Harbeck added that the government might have to allow more price increases to be passed on to consumers. Alexander Lukashenko, the president of Belarus, said he has ordered the country's armed forces to attack Western countries if they attack Belarus. A state news agency reported him as saying, Do not touch us and we will not touch you. Mr. Lukashenko also claimed, without evidence, that Belarus had intercepted Ukrainian missile strikes on the country. The claims came amid fears that Belarus may increase its involvement in Russia's war. North Korea claimed that an agreement between America, South Korea and Japan to strengthen their military cooperation was part of an American plan to create a defensive alliance similar to NATO in Asia. The leaders of the three countries met during a NATO summit last week and agreed that North Korea's weapons program and missile tests justified extended deterrence. The Taliban demanded that foreign governments formally recognise their administration and remove sanctions, but made no concessions to the requests made by Western countries, such as allowing girls to return to high school. The statement followed a meeting of thousands of Taliban-affiliated leaders in Kabul, Afghanistan's capital. The country has been cut off from the global economy since the group took control in August. Tesla, Elon Musk's electric car company, delivered 254,695 cars in the second quarter of the year, 18% fewer than in the previous one. The firm blamed supply chain problems and a temporary shutdown of its factory in Shanghai due to COVID-19 lockdowns. Almost 2.5 million passengers passed through American airports on Friday, 13% more than a year ago when COVID-19 restrictions remained in many states. Airlines beset by staffing shortages are struggling with the 4th of July holiday weekend. More than 1,100 flights have been cancelled since Friday, and more than 11,000 delayed. Separately, Ryanair cabin crew in Spain will strike for 12 days this month, adding to disruption in Europe. And word of the week. Malos pasos. Wrong path in Spanish. At least 100,000 people are missing in Mexico. Victims are often dismissed as having taken the wrong path and their disappearances ignored by officials. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Independence Day, the Belarusian way. 
Belarus became an independent country after the collapse of the Soviet Union on August 25, 1991. Yet its official Independence Day is celebrated on July 3rd. That marks instead the liberation of Minsk, the capital, from Nazi occupation by the Soviets in 1944. The official holiday suits President Alexander Lukashenko, who, in lamenting the collapse of the Soviet Union, sometimes sounds like his Russian counterpart, Vladimir Putin. Given Mr. Putin's patronage of the Lukashenko regime, observers may ponder whether Belarus is really independent at all. Mr. Lukashenko's championing of his country's Soviet past presents a potential flashpoint for anti-government protests. Opposition groups prefer to celebrate Belarusian sovereignty on March 25th, or Freedom Day. That date marks the establishment in 1918 of the Belarusian People's Republic, a short-lived independent state that was snuffed out by Soviet forces. But any demonstrations on Sunday's official holiday will draw a forceful response. Mosquitoes can smell your sickness. The members of the Aedes genus are nasty critters. They are the vector by which Zika and Dengue, two sometimes fatal viruses, spread, as mosquitoes bite the infected and transmit the viruses to new victims. This process, though, does not appear to be random. Research led by scientists at Tsinghua University and just published in Cell suggests that mosquitoes actively target mice infected with the viruses. That seems to be down to the canny viruses which want to spread as much as possible. To this end, just as flowers produce nectar to lure honeybees, Dengue and Zika reprogram their host's skin cells to produce more of a chemical called acetophenone. It is catnip for mozzies. When it is applied to human hands, they come swarming. The scientists want to edit mosquitoes' genes so that they cannot smell their favorite aroma. In the meantime, a commercial acne treatment will mask it. But if you are in tropical climes and find yourself a magnet for mosquitoes, it may already be too late. Africa Fashion Comes to London For African designers in the second half of the last century, rejecting imported European fabrics in favor of local materials was a way to celebrate their independence from colonialism. Africa Fashion, an exhibition tracing the continent's style up to the present day, opened this weekend at the Victoria and Albert Museum in London. Among those featured is Shade Thomas Pham, who in 1960 opened Nigeria's first fashion boutique and was a figurehead for what became known as the African Renaissance. Fine examples from contemporary designers such as Nkwo Onwuka's distinctive hand-dyed denim are on display too. In some ways, the exhibition could and should have happened years ago. A formalized fashion scene has existed in Africa for decades. But there is something uniquely exciting happening now. Africa is the youngest continent in the world, and its youthfulness has spurred an outpouring of creativity which echoes the independence years. Some are calling it the, quote, New African Renaissance. This exhibition makes a compelling case for the label. South Africa's Gloomy Evenings South Africans' evening routines are dictated by ESCOM, their national utilities company, a Byzantine timetable of localized blackouts, known as, quote, load shedding, can mean hours without power. The latest round is due to last until at least Sunday. 
Load shedding is not new, but this year there will be more of it than ever. The troubles have their roots in the transition from apartheid. South Africa's power grid was designed to serve the white minority. After the first democratic elections in 1994, the new African National Congress government connected black areas to the grid. But successive governments failed to invest enough to meet that new demand. Today's problems are exacerbated by a strike of ESCOM workers. But corruption and incompetence deserve more blame. Power stations providing 40% of capacity are broken, and ESCOM's monopoly means little pressure to improve. Yet voters are fed up and may punish the ANC for the blackouts at the next election, even if they must do so by candlelight. Weekend Profile Bongbong Marcos, the Philippines' new president Ferdinand Bongbong Marcos Jr. and his wife Lisa Araneta Marcos love Marvel movies. One day late last year, they were watching Ant-Man, a film about a superhero who can manipulate his size, when he turned to her and said, Okay, we're going to do this. Do what? Mrs. Araneta Marcos asked. Run for the presidency, replied Mr. Marcos, who is universally known as Bong Bong. On June 30th, he was inaugurated as President of the Philippines and soon after arrived at Malahanyang Palace, his official residence for the next six years. For Bong Bong, aged 64, it was a homecoming. He first moved into Malahanyang in 1965 as a seven-year-old when his father, Ferdinand Marcos, became president. They stayed until 1968 when Marcos Sr., who declared martial law in 1972 and whose reign descended into a brutal kleptocratic dictatorship, was forced into exile by a popular, peaceful revolution. The Marcoses are thought to have plundered billions of state money while in power. It has been said they took millions of dollars of cash, gold bars, and jewelry with them when they fled. Looking back, Bong Bong remembers those years fondly. Quote, You were a little spoiled, especially as a kid. You were very well attended to, you were very well cared for, he told CNN Philippines in April. Marcos Sr. died in 1989, and the family was allowed to return to the Philippines in 1991. Imelda, Bong Bong's mother, immediately set about trying to rehabilitate the family name. She ran for the presidency and lost badly. But Bong Bong won a seat in the House of Representatives from the Marcos' traditional stronghold of Ilocos Norte in the north of the country. He has served as a congressman, senator, or governor for most of the past 30 years. In 2016, he ran for a vice presidency, but lost narrowly. On May 9th, he trounced his closest rival for the presidency. With 59% of the vote, he has the strongest mandate of any president since his father. The victory probably means less to Mr. Marcos, who observers and friends describe as, quote, laid back, than it does to his mother. Imelda, now 92, never accepted that Filipinos had turned against her family or admitted any wrongdoing. Indeed, none of the Marcoses has ever apologized for the cruelty or plunder of the dictatorship. With Bong Bong back in Malahanyang, she will stand vindicated. As for Bong Bong himself, he could not resist using his inauguration speech to praise his father's rule. He got things done, Bong Bong said, quote, so will it be with his son. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia, Jin Hong Park, Suwon, South Korea. 
North America, Umesh Bala Subramaniam, San Diego, United States. Central and South America, Inez Sanchez, Panama City, Panama. Europe, Serban Ionescu, Bucharest, Romania. Africa, Hassan Aloui, Rabat, Morocco. Oceania, Ewan Mackenzie Bowie, Auckland, New Zealand. They all gave the correct answers of Carol Mosley Braun, Oliver Hardy, In the Bleak Midwinter, The Times, and Mutual Funds. The theme is Charles Dickens' novels, A Christmas Carol, Oliver Twist, Bleak House, Hard Times, and Our Mutual Friend. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Wisława Zimborska. Any knowledge that doesn't lead to new questions quickly dies out. It fails to maintain the temperature required for sustaining life. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.